Radio Mano Papachango. This is Mike. I'm currently sitting by the pool in Bali at a nice little resort. I just spent two weeks uh, in the jungle of Java surfing big, scary waves uh, every day. I did a little microdose of mushrooms, and uh, it was insane. And it went back and forth between a nightmare and an epic dream. So uh, I listened to your podcast every night when I was there, and it was great, man. So I just wanted to say thanks. And keep up the good work, my friend. Hi, Chris. This is Chris. I'm down in uh, Asturias in España. Um, just wanted to check in and say, great show. Thanks for all the hard work you do. It's been an absolute inspiration listening to some of your guests over the last few months. I've been on a journey to uh, to buy this piece of land down here and make a, um, a retreat centre. And they have all inspired me. You've inspired me to get on and do the job and get it done so thanks very much dude keep it up ciao hey chris and everyone else it's emily from north carolina just calling because i'm sitting in traffic on my way home from work and i quit my job today so the cubicle is no more Um, I decided that I was going to focus all my energy on going back to school. I just started taking classes to get my master's degree and, um, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life pursuing my actual passion, which is research. So I just wanted to thank you for everything that you do and, for your podcast and for all your amazing, weird, awesome listeners out there. And, uh, yeah, thanks for reminding us to be alive. Um, keep up the good work and know that, you know, you're really having an influence on people, myself included. Um, and thanks. Thank you, Emily, and everybody else who sends in these intros. So cool to hear from you. Whether you're in an exotic spot or you're just driving to work or sitting in the basement of your mother's house or stroking your cat's belly, whatever you're doing, it's great to hear from you. Thanks for sending those. If you want to send me one, Please record it on your phone. Keep it 20 seconds or maybe a little over that, but not much over that. Uh, I don't like to edit them. I don't want anyone to be uh, hurt that I cut something out. Um, But if they get longer than that, they're a little too long. Anyway, you can just uh, send me an mp3 at intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. Speaking of tangentiallyspeaking.com, I have a new website. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. If my voice sounds a little rough, it's because it's a windy day and I'm recording this intro on uh, the microphone on the little headphones, the head earbud things. So I'm not using my normal state-of-the-art podcasting recording equipment because it's buried in the van somewhere. This is the last day of the five-month 2019 Vanthropology USA tour. Heading into L.A. tomorrow. I'm in Joshua Tree at my buddy Tao's place. His compound, his desert compound. An amazing place and uh, a fitting last stop on this long, arduous, wonderful, amazing journey that uh, started in May, early May. Heading back into the shitstorm of so-called real life. I've got a book coming out in a week. Civilized to Death, you've heard me talk about it, ad nauseum, one of the few Latin phrases I actually know, very useful. 
Uh, I've been talking about it forever. I've been chipping away at it forever, and it's finally finished. Beautiful. I'm so happy with the cover art uh, that was done by a listener of this podcast, um, just Bruno Guerrero. So happy about the way the whole thing has come together. I'm going to be on tour. You'll find the, uh, if you go to my website, chrisryanphd.com or thatchrisryan.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com or whatever the hell you get there. You can even Google uh, Civilized to Death. It'll get you there. Uh, there's a tour um, page where you can see where I'll be and the dates and all that. And if you're around and you have a free night, I hope you come out and say hi. You don't need to buy a book. You can just come, say hi, heckle me, throw fruit, whatever you do at book readings. At the moment, uh, I'm gonna, I know I'll be, I'm scheduled to be in Denver, New York, Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco. There may be more locations and dates added. You can always find that at my website, my new brand spanking new and improved website. If you think you'll be buying a copy of the book at some point and you want to do me a solid, the best possible way to to buy the book is to pre-order it right now on Amazon or from your local independent bookstore or wherever you buy books. Um, because those sales will be counted in the first week sales, which will give the, the book a bit of a boost. So I really appreciate anybody who, if you have the cash, don't, don't sweat it if you don't have the cash, of course. But if you do have the cash and you'd like to have a sad chimpanzee looking out at you from your bookshelf, uh, definitely pick up a copy of Civilized to Death by pre-ordering it and thereby boosting Somewhat artificially, my first week sales numbers, which will make the publisher happy and might attract some attention from reviewers. It's already being excerpted in uh, Wired on Wired.com. They're going to be running an excerpt. I'm doing um, AMA on Reddit October 1st. I don't know exactly what time yet. Um, and uh, some reviews have been coming in that have been generally positive. Um there was one from Publishers Weekly that came out last week that said the book was entertaining and provocative, but unconvincing. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to be convincing you of uh, or what the reader was not convinced about. He or she didn't specify that. But, uh, hey, entertaining and provocative, that's good enough for me. I'll take that. All right, I'm not going to talk very much here because I know the sound quality is a little rough and, um, frankly, because there's a party going on here and I've just slipped away to a windy porch away from the music and the laughter and the cooking and the drinking and the dancing and all the things that happen at parties in the desert near Joshua Tree. Um, and I want to get back to the party, but I did want to say hello to you and get this episode out. Last week, I, I missed a week. I rarely do that, but I was on the road, uh, and there just wasn't any access to Wi-Fi, and there was no place to really uh, just sit down for a few hours. I've got some big news coming up. Um, well, I guess I can tease a little bit. Uh, I bought some land last week, which is um, pretty amazing for me. I've never owned land in my life. I've owned essentially one car, one van, and a motorcycle, which was in my ex-girlfriend's name, but I guess I owned that. Not legally, but it was mine. We all understood it was mine. And that's about it. That's pretty much all I've owned. Uh, the apartment in Barcelona, yeah, I'm a half owner of that, although that's also in someone else's name. That's in Casilda's name. But... Uh, yeah, I haven't owned a lot of stuff, and certainly not land. So that's, uh, I guess I'm growing up. It's, it had to happen eventually. Um, if I didn't die young, I guess I was going to grow up, and I'm certainly not young. So it's my only option. So I'll talk more about that in upcoming episodes, um, but for now it's an excuse for why I didn't do the podcast last week. And uh, heading into L.A. and then uh, going to be promoting the book in the next month. But I'll be with you checking in once a week, uh, dropping whatever little knowledge I have and um, these conversations with fascinating people. 
This week's episode is with Doreen Stokes. She is a woman. I liked this woman. I knew I liked her from the minute I met her. What happened was Ian, her son, whom I've never met, but listens to the podcast, sent an email or something, some sort of communication saying, hey, there's a, I see you're in Montana. There's a great camping spot. I'll, I'll drop a pin and send it to you. You should go check it out. By the way, my parents live near, near there. They have a ranch. They're thinking of selling the ranch. It's a beautiful place. It might be what you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, we went there, and we found the camping spot. And sure enough, it's a beautiful spot overlooking a big river. There's a, a kind of a low cliff where you can jump into a swimming hole. Big ponderosa pines, dug firs all around just lovely, lovely spot. Anyway, we're setting up camp there, and I see this woman walking up, and I thought, oh no, this woman's going to come tell us we can't camp here, you know, we're doing something wrong. And instead, she walks up and says, are you Chris? I say, yeah. And she says, oh, I'm Ian's mom, Doreen. How are you doing? I say, oh, great. And she says, I just want to make sure everything was going well. You found the place. Everything's good. I say, can I offer you a beer? And she said, is it a good beer? I said, I think it's, you know, a stone IPA. And she said, oh, okay. I just want to make sure you weren't offering me some Coors or Michelob or any of that shit. And I thought, all right, I like this woman. Because Montana is definitely Michelob, Coors, Bud Light country. It's not stone IPA country. Um, but she didn't give a shit. And I like people who don't give a shit. And um, <clears throat> then we ended up becoming friends with her and uh, her husband and hanging out with them for a while and really enjoyed our visit. Anyway, Doreen is a humble, uh, wonderful person, despite the fact, as I said, she doesn't give a shit. But she's, uh, when I asked her to be on the podcast, she said, oh, I'm not interesting enough to be on the podcast. I said, of course you are. You're fascinating. Uh, she's a guide. She takes people to Africa. She's been doing it for, for years. Um, she had a business for many years, replanting forests in the Northwest. Um, so we talk about ecology, we talk about forestry, we talk about Africa, we talk about travel, all sorts of fascinating things, um, you know, shared interests that we have. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Doreen Stokes from beautiful Plains, Montana. Short for Wild Horse Plains. And if you're looking for a beautiful ranch, I think it's 84 acres, surrounded by national forest land, stream running through it, beautiful place, uh, at a very reasonable price. You can uh, let me know and I'll put you in touch with the broker or directly with Doreen. I think she, um, actually she mentions her contact details. So if you're interested in the ranch, or you're interested in going to Africa on one of her trips, you can get in touch with her directly. Okay, I'm starting to ramble. That's enough. I'm going to play you out with a song uh, I heard for the first time about 20 minutes ago. A listener named Eric sent me uh, an email saying, hey, I think you'll dig this song. And he was right. The song's called Poem. The band is She Drew the Gun. And... Uh, I encourage you to listen very closely to the lyrics. Um, I think this song, and to some extent, I hope, Civilized to Death, are honest statements and responses to what's happening in the world right now. Things are falling apart. People don't want to hear that. People resist it, and I understand why. But 29% of all the birds in North America have disappeared in the last 50 years. That's since I was a kid, since I was a seven-year-old kid. Almost a third of all the birds have disappeared. The butterflies are almost gone. The coral reefs will be gone before... We're dead. The bees are going. Insect biomass is, is reducing radically. Fisheries are collapsing. I just saw a 
Greta Thunberg, or I don't know how to pronounce her last name. <clears throat> I just saw her addressing the United Nations. She's infuriated. Understandably. Understandably. We shot the bed, people. And now we're sleeping in it. And it's it's not very comfortable. But anyway, this song is called Poem. The band is She Drew the Gun. The guest is Doreen Stokes. Shout out to Ian, her son, who I've got to meet someday. Sounds like a fantastic guy. His parents are certainly fantastic. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'll be back with you next week with a proper microphone and an indoor studio space so you won't have to hear the winds of Joshua Tree in the background. Hope it's not too annoying. Thanks for listening to this. Thanks for being part of this community. I'm honored to be the hub on this wheel. Catch you next week. Can't believe what I'm reading when I open these sheets. They got police getting busy and cleaning up the streets. Cause that's what we need now to make the place neat. Take the homeless man's rags, no sleeping bags, no place to sleep. Because we're far too civilized around here to see an unkempt human being, a broken human being. Open up your eyes, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah, misplaced, made to feel disgraced, human being. Why it's not enough to just. Just pretend that you don't see him You can't stand the sight So you gotta disappear And well I hope you feel more comfortable Doing your sightseeing Taking pictures Buying fucking union jack magnets and key rings Life give me something to believe in No lies Just something to believe in I'm I The only one that's grieving These things that belong to you And me that they are thieving how long until they build a wall and call it a private city? They got walls made out of laws to exclude you and me And now they take away our right to fight those laws for free No legal aid, no more justice, only for the wealthy oh, But they're trying to build a more healthy society So that everybody knows you don't get nothing for free No scrounges, no living room lounges, living off me Suggest you're seeing exactly what they want you to see A monster, a cancer, a threat to your liberty How about a scapegoat for their crimes A victim of the times Everything that you're not meant to be How about a badly prepared, scared human being How about a necessary cog in the economic machine Cause if there was no unemployment Tell me how would things be Do you still feel lucky to be working 40 hours a week We're like a, a cage bird and they got us by the beak Give us enough to eat, enough to sleep, enough to tweet But there's not enough space between the ground and our feet We're singing songs of freedom But we're not flying free So life, give me something to believe in No lies, just something to believe in I'm I, the only one that's grieving These things that belong to you and me That they are thieving so the world's got me hurting, got me feeling undeserving Got me questioning my worth in this sad system that we're serving Find no place in this twisted race for property Is making profit the sole aim of humanity Protect the banks, bring out the tanks if they disagree While we're at it, let's invest some more in military All our friends have shares, so why shouldn't we? Markets are demanding that we give away for free Everything our grandparents fought for to some company It's called wealth creation It's more efficient, you see Sorry, I forgot the free market would set us free I forgot to only think about I, man, and me While brothers and sisters have nothing to eat Brothers and sisters at home and overseas So I can't lie down and I won't let it be While we are working for a market that doesn't work for me Things that they're thieving, the yours and mine You know that they're stealing, but there's still time If you feel this way too
sitting under ponderosa pines and dug fir overlooking the clark fork river just outside of wild horse plains minnesota i get montana. all montana. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I, I got it all right until the state well there you go uh i'm with doreen stokes who is one of these great situations where someone reaches out someone who listens to the podcast her son ian said hey i see you're going through minnesota you should uh stop montana montana (laughs) again it's very i should also mention it's very early in the morning uh, because we're leaving and we wanted to do this podcast before we left so i have not you'll hear me slurping my first coffee of the day in the background and hopefully i'll realize what state i'm in at some point um anyway ian is traveling in asia at the moment but he said you should stop in and see my parents they have this great uh farm and it's for sale and maybe you guys want to build your lifeboat there and also here's a great camp spot and where he dropped a pin and uh we followed his pin and we're actually sitting right now at the pin it's a beautiful spot. There's a swimming hole and uh, cliffs that kids come and jump off into the water. And there's a bald eagle at the top of a tree across the way there. <clears throat> and maybe some rain on the way. So we'll see if this gets abbreviated. Anyway, thank you for doing this, Doreen. Sure. I've been talking the whole time so far. Well, that's the way it is. That's you, what you do. You just sit here and listen to <laughs> okay. me. That, that's how we do this. <laughs> that's easy. Um. Oh, but I wanted to to have you on because that first night when you came over, I realized immediately that you were not a typical sort of country woman, just sort of living on a farm and, you know, hadn't been anywhere, hadn't seen anything. Quite the opposite. Within 20 minutes, we were talking about surfing and Africa and you've been all over. You Yesterday, I think you told me. Did you say that you personally have planted a million trees, you think? Yes, I have. So uh, let's let's talk about the trees first, because that's an interesting thing. So you started a business, was it a reforestation business, would you call it? or what, Yeah, what you... yeah. It was a tree planting reforestation business. I started it in Oregon um, in the 80s. Mm. And I... Um, I just saw a travel tree planters were coming through the area that I lived in, and I thought, well, you know, I, I could do that. And, of course, um, they didn't think a woman could do it mm. because it is hard work. It's really hard physical labor. And after about a week, I took to it, and I did. I worked for someone else for years. I worked on co-ops, and, and I thought, hmm, I can do what they're doing. So I just decided to start my own company. Mm. And it went well. It went well. It did go well. Yeah. And you're, I think you said you are basically working for the forestry department and logging companies. Right. Yeah. There's the Forest Service, the state. Um, we used to do some Boise Cascade, um, Plum Creek, the BLM, Fish and Wildlife and Game, uh, par- private parties as well. A lot of people who just want to get their land back in trees again. And do they tell you what kind of trees to put in? No, they don't tell us. They they um, have somebody else look at the land and tell them what they should put in, mm. and then they go and um, buy the trees, and we're, we uh, we just put them in the ground. You just plant mm-hmm. what they give you. Yep. And generally what they're planting is commercial stocks that'll grow fast and they can read. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I a lot of time uh, I spent a lot of years in Oregon and they monoculture there just planting dug fir. There was one company I worked for that mm. did planted some other types of seedlings, some cedar and some hemlock, mm. hemlock and they were privately um, owned like a family business. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like they were doing more of the right thing. Right. Actual reforestation right, as opposed right. to plantation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so much of that propaganda you see the advertising, you know, 
we're supposed to be proud of these companies because they've planted 500 million trees or whatever, but they're not they're not putting the forest back. No, and a lot of them are really degrading the forest to start with. I the the they just take out everything. Yeah. And I feel like they don't have a lot of respect for the watersheds. So they clear cut right down to the water. That can't be good. And then right. they just put back one tree when really after they burn and slash, there was probably 8 to 10 different species of trees. Mm, yeah, at least. Yeah. And then all the undergrowth as and well. And all the undergrowth. Yeah. 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 And you got out west because of surfing. You were you grew up in <laughs> Jersey, New Jersey, right? I grew up right? in New Jersey. Jersey and wa- girl. And the water was just too disgusting, and so you headed west. Yep. Yep. Took three months to go from New Jersey to Oregon. And were you hitchhiking or? No, no, in a van. <laughs> yep. All right. <laughs> in I a van, that. just every which way. Something looked good, we'd turn left. Something looked good, we'd turn right. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's I a love good that. adventure. It's a good life. And were you headed to Oregon specifically or just to the West Coast? Headed to Oregon specifically. Why is that? Well, because my, um, my first husband was going to go to graduate school mm. in Corvallis. Right. So that's we headed there specifically. And he was was it marine biology? It was. It was right. Yeah. Cool. And that was 1972. So what was happening? The Vietnam War was still going on. Right. Nixon right. had just been reelected. Yep. Yep. And then he um, he got impeached. In that like 73, yeah. four maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when was the first moon landing? That was around That was 69, then. I oh, believe. Oh, 69. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I so, remember I was I was working in a restaurant and I was chop I was the chop girl in the in the back. I was just a teenager and had a little bitty TV up there and I'm chopping these vegetables and and uh the man is landing on the moon and it just looked like some kind of Star Trek movie to me. I just had a hard time really believing it was true. It looked so fake. Were you amazed? Were you were you touched by it in some way, or was it too remote? No, I wasn't touched by it. I I just felt like that was a a time in my life too where I distrusted the government and such and mm. anything that was going on like that. So it just looked too contrived to me. Mm. I I really I really didn't believe it. You believe it now? Yeah, I think I believe it now. All right. So you're not because there are people who think yeah. that the whole thing was contrived. Yeah, I. <clears throat> I distrust the government, but that one's hard for me to wrap my head around. You know, there's so many people watching from telescopes, you know, like it would be impossible, I think, to yeah. to yeah. fake that. But so you were you were a teenager and you already were distrusting the government. You were radicalized at a young age. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happened. It just um I went to a Catholic school, oh. a co-ed Catholic school, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Maybe because um, I didn't really succumb to their to the Catholicism. Mm. I didn't. I didn't see the nuns and the priests te- treating the kids with love and respect. Right. And so I couldn't buy into that. And were your parents Catholic? They were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Was that? A problem that you? Weren't... Oh no, no. My pro- my parents were very lenient about mm. that. My mom, she, um, I mean, she didn't make me go to church on Sunday. She said, "You've been in school. You've been in Catholic school all week. You don't need to go to church." Mm. If they don't, if they didn't get you then, then they don't. They're not going <laughs> to get you on Sunday. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And your dad ran a, a bar, and so you hung out in the bar. Binky's Tavern. Binky's Tavern. Right. So who right. was Binky? Was that his name? Um, well, my first, uh, my last name was Binkevich. Ah. So it was just shortened to Binky. Yeah. And it was a family business. My ah. grandpa owned it and my uncles. And and so I lived on top of it huh. for 19 years. I lived up there until I left for college. Where'd you go to college? I went for a year at uh, Concord college in Athens, West Virginia. Wow. Wow. I uh, had to get out of there. And <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you go there? Um, I don't know. I just, I don't know why. <laughs> it was why I picked it out of the book and, and, uh, 
West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. It was an education in in a lot of different ways, I right. think. You know, it would, I was, New Jersey is more cosmopolitan, and you end up in West Virginia where girls are still wearing saddle shoes, and it was years, like years behind. Yeah. A pretty state, but. Yeah. So you lasted a year there. Lasted a year, and then I um, then I got married at 19 and went to um, Denison University in Granville, Ohio. Why did you get married at 19? Why? Yeah. Well, we had been um, together since I was 15. Wow. It just seemed like time. Really? Yeah. And we had adventure in mind, and mm. we both... Um, thought it was time i guess yeah didn't seem didn't seem young at the time yeah my mother was 21 when they were married i think or maybe 20 hmm. and i was born a year later it's amazing to think of children raising children you know yeah yeah we didn't have any children <clears throat> we were too busy playing <laughs> <laughs> well that's good yeah so then you, you took off to Oregon shortly after that? Right, yeah. took off to Oregon and, um, and and continued surfing there. Did you finish school in Ohio? I did not. No, I did not. Did you ever go back? I did not. Do you regret that? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right, we'll let that go. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it, it just wasn't uh, in, my, in my future. It wasn't yeah. in my life. I got busy at doing many different things, and then yeah. tree planting entered my life, and I became real successful at running a tree planting reforestation company. And I did, I actually, I did go back to forestry school about 10 years after I was into um, reforestation just to see what they were teaching and mm. um and and it was a it was a real eye opener i think that basically um the they were teaching a lot of rape and run in the forests at that time there was two teachers that two classes that i took that had any kind of environmental um you know impact the rest of them were just, how do you get these trees out of here? That's what they were teaching the young kids going into forestry. They weren't putting them back. And this is like worldly. This is international mm. forestry as well. Yeah. Just let's get there. Let's get the trees out. Let How much volume is there? What is it worth? What is it worth? Right. Yeah. No, no concern with what we're leaving behind. No. Yeah. None. And that was hard for me as a as a... Even reforesting, we saw places that nobody sees except the loggers and the tree planters. No reason to go back there. Nobody goes back there. Maybe a hunter now and then, but we saw we saw a lot of destruction. Yeah. Always felt on the good side of it, you know, planting the trees back. But um, yeah, it was it wasn't satisfying in a lot of ways until. I was planting trees for another cause. Mm. You know, I always wanted to plant trees for something more than the almighty dollar. Right. And you found that in Africa. I did. Yeah. I so did. how did you start going to Africa? You've been, how many times you've been now? Ten times. And when was the first? 1984. 1984. And it was, it was really pristine then. Mm. Tanzania was just not nearly as populated as it is today a lot more animals everywhere and and they were doing a little bit of um forestry but they seemed to be doing it in a, a better way they seemed to be cutting what needed to come out and and leaving the good behind so i did go on a safari it was a three-week safari it was um had a lot of had a lot of ups and downs it wasn't, we, um, well, we we were camped at the bottom of the Nungorogora crater, was five days into it, and there was a squall that came through at 11 o'clock in the morning, and we were under a huge fig banyan tree, and it, it was so bad, everybody just ran into their tents. We were all tented down there, and that tree fell on our camp. Ooh. It was, it was a... Uh, disastrous really um a young girl she was 19 at the time and she just she was just crushed 
Five other people had to be flown out with the um, flying doctors, which took hours and hours and hours before you could even get in. There was nobody in the crater but us then. Mm. Now you'll see a lot of other vehicles, but then there was nobody down there. So um, it was it was just crazy. Wow. Everybody had, there were a couple uh, nurses on the trip, <clears throat> which was really helpful. Yeah. Um, Paul and Ann Ehrlich were on the trip. They, um, and, and they were really helpful in organizing everybody because it was really easy to get panicky at that yeah. point. Paul Ehrlich, the author? Mm-hmm. And what has he written? Um, the Population Bomb That's at that right. time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was really fun. Wow. So, um, were the guides hurt? No, the guides were not. Uh, one of we had two huge vehicles because we had how many people? Let's see. I think we had upwards of twenty people on that trip. So each vehicle was huge and it carried ten, twelve people, and one of them was just smashed. There was just nothing. It was mm-hmm. done. It was done. And so we had to get we had to get back up on the rim of the crater, which is it's nine miles across that crater, and it's over 2,000 feet up. There's all kinds of animals down there, so someone had to go for help. So a couple people took off on foot and went up to a, um, a lodge on the top and called for help, and then, and then we got some other vehicles down there. It took about five hours to get us all back up to the top and unshaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you hurt? No, I was not hurt. I wasn't. I, mm. um, I was really lucky. Yeah. Just pure random where the tent happened to it be. It was random. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. And now when I go back, I, I take my uh, my uh, clients because I lead safaris there, and I like to I like to remember Pam. I just think that she needs to be always remembered, so we can go to that spot and that tree is nothing but it's it's down it's decayed there's a big log there now mm. but i always like to to tell the story in her memory mm. yeah wow that's a hell of a way to start your african it relationship it was it was yeah yeah and she was um her parents had her buried there oh really yeah oh. yeah so well I don't know. I think deaths like that are always tragic. Nineteen, obviously, is way too young, but there is something about dying in a beautiful place in mm-hmm. a natural way. Something to be said for that. Yeah, and we carried on. It. We decided to carry on. Her. She was with a boyfriend, and he, um, David. He. He left us for about five days, and he rejoined the group again. Really. Yeah. Wow. So um, we we carried on, and we thought that we thought maybe we should just quit and go home. But it was five days into it, and we decided that Pam wouldn't want us to do that. That was her love to be there. So hmm. yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. And so, you, how long was that safari? The whole that was trip? a three week safari. Three weeks, mm-hmm. right? Wow, that must have been. I mean, the rest of those days must have just been so meaningful and, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, it, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it transformed the group into something much deeper, I'm absolutely. sure. Absolutely, right. And we were on our way to Rwanda to see the mountain gorilla. Mm. And so we all got to do that. That was that was uh, an incredible experience yeah, as bet. well. Did you get quite close to them about as close as you and i are right now really yeah yeah, yeah i've seen some of those videos where the, they come right over to you yeah you're not yeah. allowed to touch them right you know and you they only take a certain amount of people in at a time right. six or seven it took three hours one day to find the group and uh, five hours the next day to find a group and then you just sit there and you they come to you. The mothers and the babies will come to you. The silverbacks, you're just not getting anywhere near them. And they sort of just sit there with their backs towards you. And you're not supposed to look them in the eye at all. Right. But the mothers, you can. And the mm. babies. The babies try to take your camera away. They're so curious. Yeah. That must have been incredible. Oh, that was so incredible. That was one of the highlights. Highlights of my life. By the way, just a, a note to listeners, there are trains going by. 
and thunder. So if you're driving and you hear a train, don't <laughs> don't start looking around nervously. It's not coming mm-hmm. for you, probably. And, and um, but uh, yeah, definitely a lot of sounds going on here. Um, so so that experience must have just been really impactful. And you came home, and did you decide at that point I want to? keep doing this or I want to do this professionally or well I, I just fell in love with Africa I fell in love with Tanzania and the people and the animals and the places the landscapes are gorgeous there yeah. it's got so much happening it's got Kilimanjaro and the um, the ocean and Zanzibar and Lake Victoria and the Serengeti and and on and on um, and it's it's just gorgeous and the people are kind kind natured like to laugh just easy very mm. easy people to be around and I just fell in love with it so I knew they knew I was going back mm. didn't quite know when um, then I met Jim my husband and it was <laughs> I just I have I just really wanted him to see it I really wanted to share that with him so we went back and I every time I go I try to do something for um, for the area and previously I'd been to the Omotoni Forestry Institute and and saw what they were doing in the forestry department. Is that in Tanzania? It's in Tanzania. Yeah. So I I really wanted to do something for animals, but it just kept seeming like trees were pulling me in one direction mm. more than that. And when you think about it, you have to have the whole circle. You, if you're going to work with the environment, you have to work with the people and you work with the animals. So it's you can't separate. It has to be the whole whole thing yeah so you when did you start planting trees there Ooh, I didn't start planting trees there to um, well into my safari experiences let me see I think it was about 12 years ago I started um, working with the Maasai school a friend of mine who owns safari legacy that we use as the inbound operator he he knew that the pe- the clients that I take really like to do some different things. And I thought, now, how can we put tree, tree planting into this? So we decided that we would have the clients plant trees at the school, and they pay to plant the trees, and they get this good experience with the kids. And, you know, planting a tree in Africa is pretty special. Mm. So we've been planting trees there at the inception of the school, which is about 12 years ago. So all the trees, it's in a very desert-like area. So all those trees there are trees that my clients and I have planted. And this time, I hadn't been there for four years. This time I went back, got out of the truck, and I was so excited. I was like jumping up and down. The trees were huge. They were wonderful. Yeah, it was you just showed me great photos to yesterday. see. It was so yeah. great to see. So um, yeah. I also worked with the university. I take some university students. We took 10 of them in 2015, and we planted trees for three days, and they really wanted to give back. That's that's one way you can, my safaris, give back, is to plant trees. So we planted at a um, proposed elephant orphanage. We planted at, a, at the school. We planted trees for a day there. And then we planted in Tawambo, which is a little way, about 12 kilometers from the school. My son and I had done a water project there. We brought water down um, from the um, the source down to the road and all along through banana plantations and everything. And then that water got dispersed to about 18,000 people. But right above the source, it was deforested. And that was just from people coming and taking wood for their personal needs. Mm. So... I said, you know, you could, we could do this water system, but you're not going to have much water if we don't plant this back. So when the students came, we went and planted that back Mm. on the watershed. Nice. So that felt good. Yeah, right. Because as you say, it's a whole system. You can't just take the water and and have the deforested because then there is no water. Right, right. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And did you replant, I guess you're using all native species, obviously. Right, we are. um, Some fig trees, a lot of acacia trees, Mm -hmm. some um, some baobabs, many different kinds of trees. 
a pretty good diversity, and we would shop for the trees right down there in the town. There's right. a couple nice nurseries down there. Really? And that's, I like to bring people to the nursery. We pick out the trees. Yeah. Of course, they help us with um, what kind of trees. Where the school is located <clears throat> is very dry and more of a desert. Right. Only 12 kilometers from a rainforest. <clears throat> really? Was it always a desert, or is that recent desertification? No, I think it was always, it was just uh, that that different from one place to right, another. Right, yeah. And um, you've, you said you've done 10 trips now. 10 trips. And are you bringing, you have anything planned at the moment? If someone listening wants to go to Africa? Yeah, give me want? a call because I would like to go back the um, beginning of, well, probably the end of January. I'd like to do a safari then. And if that doesn't work out, then in May, the end of May, mm. next May. Yeah, I'm, I have that planned. I'm, I'm doing a water project at the school right now. We were going to drill a well there, but it's just too dry. I'm afraid if we put $16,000 into a well, it's going to be a dry hole, mm. and, and then we'll have nothing. So right now they have two tanks there, a 30,000-gallon and a 50,000-gallon tank that's somewhat gravity-fed water in the rainy season from another tank that feeds off of Mount Meru. But oftentimes it, it doesn't, it does, it's, the water's just not there. There's also gutters that come off of the buildings into these two tanks. And this last trip while I was there, I had a company, Maji Block, go and fix the gutters, fix the pipes into the tanks, um, put another line in, another T, so one of the tanks would get the gravity-fed water as well, mm -hmm. just to see if they were going to do what they said they were going to do. Yeah. And and now I'd like to put in two more tanks. That way, when the tanks are full and the dry season comes, it'll get them through. With conserving the water, it'll get them through the how season. How many kids are in the school? There are upwards of 600 now. Really? Yeah. Wow. It started out with 25, and they had a couple of donkeys down there and buckets, and they would go slap those donkeys, and they would walk up the hill about two kilometers to this big tank. They'd fill the buckets and bring them back down, and that's how they got water to start with. Mm. So um, they're doing a lot better now. Yeah. But I, I won't feel like... I've completed until I put those other two tanks in. So that's part of why, um, well, when I go back, I'm going to stay and make sure that that gets done. Right. And you're raising money independent of the safaris to, to put in these tanks. That's right. That's right. And that is, um, it's on a GoFundMe site, um, gofundme.com slash drill a well for Maasai children. Drill a well for Maasai children. Right. All right. But uh, we're not doing the well now, so that's in the update. We've decided that's that's not the way to go, but we uh, want to do the two tanks instead. Okay, but it's still, <clears throat> you, you held on to the name. I did. So build a tank for Maasai children right. was taken. Yeah. <laughs> got Already gone. Drill a well for Maasai children. <laughs> so if anyone wants to do some real direct uh, assistance, no, no middleman, no big company taking twenty percent off the top. Hundred percent. Hundred percent of the money goes to mm -hmm. the school in the Messiah country. You also take people to um, see the Hadza. Is that right? Right. We see the Hadzapi. Um, they are hunters and gatherers. Hadzapi. What, what's the difference between Hadza and Hadzapi? I think it's the same. Okay. It's just little. Okay. Yeah. I see it sometimes with an e at the end of the word, and sometimes not. So. I think it's just a little bit different okay. pronunciation, but they're true hunters and gatherers. They're yeah. um, they're beyond primitive. I think of the Maasai as being primitive, but the Hadzapi are cavemen, literally cavemen. Mm -hmm. They live in caves and mm -hmm. and just these little huts. There, it's a it's amazing, amazing group of people. And what's it? I've never been there. I've never met with them, but. What do you feel when you're with them? Do, are they... Because I, I have been with hunter-gatherer people, and I felt like... I don't know how to say this. It, it was like the difference between a wolf and a dog. There was some energy mm -hmm. coursing through them that was I had never seen before. Do you experience something like that? I think like that's that? a really good analogy. Yeah, I think that's that's that would do it 
they are they're really wild. They're really wild and they're this time when we were there they were cooking up a baboon in the cave, in the mouth of the cave. And when you see something like that, <coughs> and they're just all sitting around, you know, eating baboon, and and they have a few instruments <clears throat> that they'll play. They hunt with bows and arrows. We go, we do a little hunting. We follow them along. They have dogs as well. It, it's it's so it's just primal. It really is. Are they putting on a show for you? No. No, they're not putting on a show. But aren't there, like, I mean, you're not the only groups of tourists coming through, right? No, we're not, but I think we were the first. And I don't, it's not very, not very many groups go there. Hmm. Is it difficult to get access? Do you need special permits? How you, does that work? you have to, you do have a permit to get, to go there. Um, and it's a rough road. So it takes a little while to get there, but it's it's well worth it. Mm. They have an area that there's about 800 of them only now, and but they have a pretty good area that there is left to them. Do you worry about disease? I mean, how do you know that you're not bringing something <clears throat> in that they have no defense against? Uh, we really don't allow sick people to go. I mean, if you've got a cold or you've got something going on, then you shouldn't, you know, you're just going to have to wait right. back at the back at the lodge or the camp. Right. And what do you think about cultural contamination? You know, are you <sighs> yeah. worried about I am. Yeah. yeah, I am. I feel like the tribes in Tanzania have great pride in who they are. I don't think they're easily swayed. Everybody wants education, but I don't really know where they're going to go with that education. I, I don't, I don't really see them disappearing as a as a tribe because they're respected. I feel like they're respected in Tanzania. Mm. When the first president after independence, the first president, um, he decided that they weren't going to be tribal in the sense that they weren't going to fight against one another. They're Tanzanians first and foremost. Mm. You can intermarry in the tribes. That was allowed. It was okay. And so consequently, people, they all get along with one another, and they don't try to um, rip each other's cultures away. Really? Like, I don't see the Maasai, I don't see the Maasai really changing, although you will see a Maasai with a cell phone. Yeah. You know, you'll see them then there's, and this school is teaching a lot, um, all Maasai children. So they want to learn, but I, I really feel like they, afterwards, they walk home two to five kilometers and put their other clothes <clears throat> back on. Right. And they are so proud of their culture. Right. And I think the Hadzapi are like that as well. And the Datoga are the neighboring tribe and they're the smithies. So they make the arrowheads for the Hadzapi. Hadzapi trade them wild honey for the arrowheads. Mm. Really fascinating. And as many as I've been there now like four times and nothing really changes. Everybody's the same. Mm. And they, they I, I don't want to say they tolerate us, um, They, but they don't put on a show. They just li live their life. Yeah. They just live their life. Yeah, it's... Interesting, I uh, was reading this account of a guy who was in Papua New Guinea, and he's a filmmaker for the BBC, and he was, I think, a month or two months, uh, way, way back, with a very you know, primitive, we use the word primitive, obviously in air quotes, um, tribe, and, and uh, after a while, one of the guys said to him, hey, you've seen the way we live. When are you going to take us to your house and show us how you mm -hmm. live? And he thought, "Wow, that's a great idea!" Like you know, what a so he proposed it to his bosses back at the BBC, and they said, "Sure, we'll fly some of some hunter gatherers to London." You know, wow. And now the guy, his name's Johnny Hughes, and his first concern was they're going to come here and see how we live, and they're not going to want to go home. And so he went and talked to an anthropologist. Uh, to say, you know, is this a bad idea? And the anthropologist just laughed and said, are you kidding? You think 
that they're going to want to give up the way they live for mm-hmm. the way we live? No, man, don't worry about that. Yeah. And so he flew them out, and it's a, I, I recount the whole thing in Civilized to Death, but after a few weeks in England, the only thing that impressed them that they wanted to take home with them was the idea of putting feathers on arrows. That was the only thing wow. they saw where they're like, ah, that's <laughs> uh-huh. a good idea. The rest of this stuff, you can no. keep it. Yeah. But that idea of putting feathers on arrows, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> There's this funny scene where he talks about they're having breakfast and the, the guys are living with a producer or something in the family and they're having breakfast and one of the guys says, uh, so why do you leave every day you're gone you leave in the morning and you come home at night where do you go and the guy says well I'm, i have to go to work and he says why why do you work and he says well i have to pay for this house for example and and the guy says so how many days do you have to work to pay for this house <laughs> he said 30 years 30 years <laughs> he's like what oh. Are you take me home me? yeah <laughs> He said, man, if I want a house, you know, we work for five days, we have a house. Like, you're working 30 years? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, it's strange. So I know what you mean, that it's it's always, and there's always that, that concern, right, that we're, by visiting someone, we're contaminating the very thing that we're there to see. Exactly. But on the other hand, there's an arrogance in the premise that, oh, when they see the way we live, they're going to want to be like us. Mm-hmm. Generally, they don't want to be like us. Yeah. I've never, I, I've been with um, some hunter-gatherer people in different, mostly in Mexico. I spent some time with the Tarahumara in northern Mexico and... and uh, who are the others in Chiapas? Um, the Lacandon. I, I just saw some of them. I didn't really interact with them. But I've never really gone. I've I've been invited, but I never really went into places um, because I just felt like I didn't deserve it. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. I wasn't studying the culture. To just wander in felt um, arrogant for me but i have been invited to visit the hadzapi uh jeff leach offered to take me in and he's doing serious work there and and um Mm -hmm. you know trying to help protect them and all that so i kind of feel like that might be an opportunity i would yeah you should and they speak a a form of click right so that would be yeah an interesting interview just to hear them speaking is yeah really interesting when i was in southern africa I interviewed the guide, and he spoke a click language. Um, I forget what it was. He, he was from Botswana, I think. I think he grew up in Botswana. So he spoke one of the tribal languages. Right. And I had him sort of run through and say some things, and it's fascinating. Yeah, really. it is. It is. Yeah, I, I think that it's... I like to do about a third culture on my safaris, not just animals. I feel like you need to come to know the area that you are visiting through the people. Mm. And for me, I always want to do something to give back. Right. Whether it's just the tree planting, we'll go to an orphanage and um, you know bring them toothbrushes, right. things like that. Um, we'll we'll dance and play with the kids at the school, go in their classrooms. We bring them food. Because food is a is an item they don't have every day, so we go to the market and experience shoveling the corn into big sacks and beans and and bringing that to them. So I like to do, I like to have people interact, and actually, that is oftentimes people's favorite part of the safari right. is the interaction with people, right? Not just seeing every animal you can imagine and the migration, but but also all that interpersonal relationship. They love it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how we, you know, before we travel to places like that, I think the assumption is, 
oh, they're so poor and they must be miserable and sad. <laughs> and then you get there and everybody's smiling and laughing and dancing around and yeah, like, wait a minute. Yeah. We're the sad ones. We are. And we always want more. We always want more. You know, I think there's a song where it goes, if you can't be happy with what you have, you'll never be happy with what you don't have. Mm. The, and those people are happy just to see you. If you try to speak their language, oh, man, they're just laughing and having a <laughs> wonderful time. Yeah. So it's it's a I, I took my son and two of his friends one time and we were at uh, Kenya at this up in the Samburu. And the boys wanted to go. There's a hospital there, an old Franciscan hospital, and they wanted to go to see the children there. So it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. We had nothing for them, and we didn't need anything. They were so happy that we were there. They were just delighted just mm. for us to be there. And we took a drive around, and they just people just waved to you. The kids just run out and wave, and, and they're just so happy. And the boys were, were, you know, how can they just, they have nothing. Look at how happy they yeah. are just yeah. to see you, that you're around, and you care enough to to be there. Yeah. That's beautiful. Hey, I think we better wrap this up because I feel like the sky is about to open. It is. Thank you for for coming out so early to do this. Yeah, my pleasure. A little shout out to Ian for hooking this up. Thank you. I was going to do the same thing. (laughs) So are we going to tell him we did this or are we just going to wait for him to hear it? I think we should just wait for him to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Ian. This is a great camping spot. I hope you're having fun in Bali or Lombok or wherever you are. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Say again, the the Kickstarter. No, it's a GoFundMe. A GoFundMe. Yeah, it's GoFundMe and it is gofundme.com slash drill a well for Maasai children. Okay. so And I'd be delighted if you would um, feel so inclined to contribute. That would be great. Anybody who's sitting on a little extra money and wants to... uh, know where it's going that's it's always great when you have something direct like that and then for people who um are interested in maybe going on a safari where would they find you oh they would find me in the phone book <laughs> remember those things oh no i wouldn't know where to find a phone book <laughs> right um let's see i guess you would um you can just call me or um, email me at well, okay. my my email is herbs h e r b s at blackfoot.net I used to have an herbal tincture company. That's I just never changed it. Right. Seems too cool. Yeah, good. Yeah, this is pretty cool. <laughs> it is good yeah. cool. Herbs at blackfoot.net. That's right. Okay. Thanks Thank for, you. Thank right. you, Chris. Okay, Mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay. In our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially speaking, paleo modern and talking out of my ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals. Right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a 
soft touch Won't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation say when everyone we've ever known is headed for a headstone i don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day so baby what's a big deal if you want to be What you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground